Welcome to What Sports with your host, Mike Jones, here today. A interesting day in the world of sports, especially if you're a Colorado sports fan. Yesterday was just not a good day for you, for a lot of people, really. Uh, we're going to talk about the Nuggets game yesterday and kind of the trajectory they've been on in general lately. It's a little disconcerting, but hey, they're going to have a break now to try to figure that all out, I guess. The Colorado Buffs, after such a good start to the season, have been on a bit of a downward spiral, unfortunately, and that all climaxed, I guess, with a first-round exit in the Pac-12 tournament. We will talk about that as well. And the Colorado Avalanche, it kind of seems like if they win, the Blues are going to win. If they lose, the Blues lose. We can't just just can't seem to make up that two-point gap with that with the Blues for that one seed in the West. But we're going to have some more opportunities because the NHL season, at least to this point, at about 9.43 Thursday, March 12th, the NHL season has not been postponed. That's right. It has not been postponed. Unfortunately, I kind of feel like it's probably going to because they've kind of followed followed suit with everything else the NBA has done so far. So it would not surprise me if we find out in the next day or two that the NHL season will be going on hiatus as well. Yes, the NBA season has gone on hiatus because of the spread of the coronavirus. Oh, it's reached America and people are freaking out. That's actually what I'm going to start off talking about today is the coronavirus. Yes, this is a sports-themed show, but this is this is bigger. This is uh this is a global thing. This is something that I feel like needs to be addressed a little bit. Now, to give you a little background into me as a person, I don't subscribe to the idea of living your life in fear. I don't subscribe to the idea of, you know, worrying about something that may or may not happen to you and in large part is somewhat out of your control, which is what this is. Yes, there is there is a lot of things you can do to try to prevent this from happening, this being the coronavirus, okay? A lot of these things are basic things that you would do, you know, during flu season, for instance. I'm going to be drawing several comparisons between the coronavirus and the flu during this segment here. Starting off with washing your hands. Now, this is as basic as you can get. Washing your hands is something, you know, everybody should have been taught to do and should just be part of your daily routine since, you know, you were 10 years old at least. Wash your hands, you know. You go to the bathroom, you wash your hands. You, you know, handle a bunch of public property. You wash your hands, whatever. Now, notice I'm being very specific about saying washing your hands. Because these Purell antibacterial type of gels or whatever that you put in your hands, those are not effective. They're antibacterial. This is the coronavirus. It's a virus. Some things will specifically say on it that they are, uh, that they are you know, kill viruses. There was these Clorox wipes at the coffee cart out here in front 
that, you know, says specifically kills viruses and bacteria. Stuff like that, yes, is going to be effective. But you, your generic, you know, Purell kills 99.9% .9 of bacteria or germs is what they a lot of times say on That is, you know, not effective. That is not helpful in this situation. For all you know, you could be killing good bacteria on your hands or wherever you're applying said Purell. So you, there's not, there's no science behind dousing yourself in this hand sanitizer as a way to protect yourself from catching the coronavirus. Other things to help protect yourself that seem, you know, relatively common sense. Respiratory hygiene is how it, I, I'm looking off of the WHO, WHO International website, World Health Organization. And it talks about respiratory hygiene. What you may ask is respiratory hygiene. This is, again, basic common sense, basic decency type of things. You know, if you're going to cough, if you're going to sneeze, you do it into your arm. Do it into your shirt. Something. You don't just cough, sneeze into the open world. You don't just walk up and just sneeze all over the desk in front of you. And to me, maybe, maybe I'm the weird one here. To me, that is kind of basic common courtesy, common sense sort of thing here. They also talk about avoid touching eyes, nose, and mouth. Now, that's not necessarily an everyday sort of basic routine sort of thing because you don't really ever realize how often you touch your face in a day. I... I Heard a statistic that you touch, like the average person touches their face about 90 times a day. You just don't think about how often, you know, you reach up, you touch your nose, you reach up, you know, you have an itch behind your ear, things like that. These open orifices on your head, on your face. Now, this, like I said, not necessarily part of your daily routine, not necessarily something that, you know, is just common sense in your everyday life necessarily. But this is something that, again, whether you're talking about the flu or the coronavirus, this is a way to help prevent contracting these diseases. And again, flu or coronavirus. This is, this is not something specific just to the coronavirus. Maintaining social distance is another thing that the World Health Organization lists here to help prevent the spread of the coronavirus. And it's maintaining, you know, a one meter, three feet distance between yourself and anyone who is coughing or sneezing. And again, I'm going to draw this parallel. It's the same thing as if we're talking about the flu, which is something we get hit with every year. You Every year you hear, oh, it's flu season. Go get your vaccine. Oh, it's flu season. You know, be careful out there. Something that happens every single year, okay? Maintain social distance is just something, if you're scared, if you're worried about contracting the flu and you see somebody, you know, over there coughing, sneezing, hacking up a lung, you're probably not going to go up to them and be like right next to them because that's, that's just kind of common sense there. That's just a common sense thing, at least to me. Maybe I'm alone on this. That's just a common sense thing. Oh, hey, they may be sick. If I'm really worried about not trying to get sick right now, 
maybe I'm not going to, you know, go share a soda with them. You know what I'm saying? Just basic common sense sort of thing here. Now, again, with the similarities between the coronavirus and the flu. All right, coronavirus. Symptoms. We got fever. We got cough. We got shortness of breath are the big three things listed. Uh, this is from the CDC, not, not, not the World Health Organization. This is, comes from the CDC, the uh, Center of Disease and Control. For the flu, also fever, also coughing. Uh, and then they have, you know, sore throat, runny or stuffy nose, uh, basic body aches and tiredness, which shortness of breath, shortness of breath, at least for me, also leads to coughing, which also leads to sore throat uh, and just basic body aches. There's, a, again, a lot of similarities here between the coronavirus and the flu, which is something we encounter and we deal with annually. Every year, there is flu season. Flu season comes up on you every single year. And yet, you know, we've learned to deal with it. It is a part of life. We haven't decided to raise a panic about it every year. Okay. We're, we're, not, we're not worried to that extent about the, you know, the flu. And partially that is because it is an every year occurrence. Every year we deal with it, we've learned to deal with it, and we continue to deal with it every year, all right? So, we as a society, a global society really, not just here in America, we as a society, we are in a state of panic about this virus, about this coronavirus a lot of that has to do with how quickly it spreads because it does spread very quickly. It's, um, I also read on, um, I believe it was the CDC, that it's the same, it's the same virus, the same basic uh, genetics, if you will, of SARS. Now, SARS was a lot more deadly than what the coronavirus is, but it did not spread as quickly. This, the coronavirus spreads apparently very quickly, very easily. And that's part of what has fed into all of this, all of this panic. I, I'm, I'm going to use the word panic because it is where you're seeing, you know, at Walmart, no, like no toilet paper available at all because of the panic that is set in among the people. All right. So, I have talked about a lot of the similarities between the coronavirus and the flu. Again, flu happens every year here in America. We even call it, you know, flu season is coming. Be prepared. It's just something that is part of our annual ritual as a society, I guess you could say. It's something that we know we're going to have to deal with. And so we're, we've accepted it. It's normal for us now. Let, let's look at 
right. So I'm, I'm talking a lot about the coronavirus and kind of, you know, I'm not trying to minimize the effects it has on certain people. Okay. I understand there are people who are lost to the coronavirus. And I'm not, you know, I'm not blind to that. I don't want it to seem like that does not matter. I'm just trying to put things in a little bit of perspective here because you look at the news, you look at what's happening, you know, again, I'll bring up Walmart. You know, you go to Walmart or Target or any place really, you can't find toilet paper most of the time. Toilet paper, like of all the things to freak out about and stock up on, it's toilet paper? Really? So, I again, I'm just trying to address this and kind of put, maybe, hopefully, maybe, put a little perspective on this in the, you know, grand scheme of things. The coronavirus is deadly to a certain population. Uh, honestly, it's the, the elderly and ones with a compromised immune system. Now, being frank about it, those are the same people who are susceptible and have a higher mortality rate with any disease. The flu, for instance, that I've talked about several times. The, the, the elderly and the ones with compromised immune system are the ones that sh- need to be and are the most, you know, need to be the most careful about getting the flu. Because they're the ones at the greatest risk if they do get the flu. So, drawing a little, I guess, comparison here. With the coronavirus, uh, now these, these numbers are from March 6th on the World Health Organization website. So they're, you know, a little dated, I guess. They're almost a week old now. But the mortality rate, okay, and this is this is the world numbers I'm going to go into about the flu is just in the U.S. because I, quite frankly, I couldn't find good numbers on a global scale that I would trust. I don't want to just grab numbers from a random website and assume that they're being honest with me. That's why I'm going through World Health Organization and the CDC for all the numbers and all the information I'm giving right now. Worldwide, as of March 6th, the mortality rate was 3.4%. 3.4%. That is awful for those people, of course. But you look at the mortality rate, you know, for the flu here in America, okay? I've keep drawing comparisons to it because the flu is something that happens every year. Every year here in America, we have flu season. It's part of the normal life, part of the normal, you know, annual tradition. Okay. The mortality rate for that is at about 1%. Not, not nearly as bad, but still, Percentage-wise, the chances of that happening are very, very small. 
Now those numbers again come from the CDC, not from not so it's just it's just localized just here in America. And again, the people at the highest risk, okay? People at the highest risk are the elderly. Uh 74.8% of, you know, cases with the flu end up being deadly for the uh, for the elderly. Now I'm not trying to throw out these numbers because I want to be depressing. I'm not trying to throw out these numbers because I want to put a downer on your morning. I'm throwing out these numbers and I'm drawing these comparisons specifically for how you prevent try to prevent contracting this disease. And I throw out these numbers specifically for, you know, the symptoms and for what can happen from getting these disease because now this is my opinion it's can be more damaging or you know at least close to as damaging to us as a society if we're freaking out about these things and creating panic about it there is there was um one of my coworkers okay one of my coworkers just had a baby a few months uh 2 months ago i think Okay, she wanted to buy formula for her child. The stores are bought out of formula because people are going into a panic about about this disease and, you know, doomsdaying, for lack of a better term. They're doomsdaying. They're, I, I mentioned the toilet paper. It's hard to go. You have to get there at right at opening, basically, if you want to get some toilet paper just to wipe your butt. I mean, toilet paper has no, there's no numbers to suggest that the more toilet paper you have, the less likely you are to contract this disease. And yet you, I saw it last week, uh, maybe it was even Monday and talked about a little in Australia, they went, they were going through a national toilet paper shortage and now I, I, I laughed at it I was like how ridiculous is that and but now you're seeing that happen here in the United States you can't go to the store and find toilet paper you can't and more seriously you, you know new mothers are having issues going to the store and being able to find formula for their child because other people in the panic are going and buying up cases more than they probably need, maybe even like a year's worth or more of formula because of the panic that is setting in. And this is why I'm talking about the coronavirus today. This is why I'm drawing the comparisons between the coronavirus and the flu. Because yes, it is awful. You feel awful. If you get the flu, you feel awful. If you get the coronavirus, I'm not trying to minimalize that. But what it can be even more harmful to us as a society and especially to, you know, individuals who need certain supplies, like the example given 
of formula is to go into a panic and to go into hysteria about it and doomsday prep with all the formula from the store, for instance, where other families need that just for their regular life. And just because they did not go out and buy cases upon cases of it, now they are put into a bind because of the panic that is not necessary. Not necessary. There are still unknowns about the coronavirus. I get that. It does spread relatively quickly. I get that. But so does the flu. And that's something we deal with every year without having to go into a panic, without having to buy out stores. Take a breath. It's, you know, it is, it is awful. It is awful that this is going around and happening to people. But there's, we don't need to go into a panic about it. We don't need to put out our fellow people because of this. And that's all I, that's, that's the main point I wanted to get through in talking about this today. And it will probably come up, especially when I talk about, you know, the sports, because it's, it, coronavirus is bleeding over into the sports world now. It's bleeding over, in particular, hugely yesterday, bled over into the NBA landscape. So it will get brought up again, but I just needed to go out and I needed to kind of get this off of my chest, if you will. Thank you for listening to me venting, if you will. Now, transitioning into sports here, I want to trans- do a transition as smooth as I can think to do it. The NBA, as I mentioned before, has suspended their season until further notice. Um, basically, it's an, it's an indefinite suspension. A lot of that's going to have to depend on how many players end up testing positive for it. When does the coronavirus in the United States start to see a downturn in cases, I would assume? Uh, there is, it is a possibility that the entire NBA season, the rest of the NBA season, could just get canceled. And, that, that's, and that's an extreme case, but it is a possibility at this point. Now, I'm going to be honest with y'all. When I heard yesterday, when I saw it pop up on the screen that the season was suspended, I was upset. I mean, I'm a, I'm a sports guy. I'm a huge sports fan. There's also, you know, the fact that spring break's coming up next week. So there was going to be more of an opportunity for me to actually watch games because I was going to have a little bit more free time on my hands. Not to mention the fact that you know, school could potentially be going to an online format, which if we were to do that, um, only one of my classes could even potentially be online because everything else is about actually doing things and hands-on recording 
So I was potentially going to have a lot more free time coming up uh, in the next, you know, couple of weeks here. So I was, I was upset. I was like, why are you doing this? The NBA players are among the least likely to have a strong reaction to contracting this disease. But then I settled down a little bit. I actually thought about it. And I get, it does make sense, one, from the for the NBA in general, because NBA, more than any other sport, and I've probably mentioned this before, is a player-driven sport. Their players are their, are, are their league. Like, if you take LeBron James and Giannis and, you know, a handful of other players out, the viewership would take a sharp decline in the NBA, more so than any other, t- any other league. And the players have much more power, much more, you know, autonomy in the NBA than any other league, especially here in America. I mean, part of that has to do with the fact that, you know, when you compare it to hockey or football or whatever, you can see the athlete way more clearly and, you know, actually be able to identify them because they're, you know, they're in a tank top and shorts out there as opposed to, you know, wearing a helmet and pads and all that stuff you get in in football or hockey. So they're a lot more recognizable, so it would be a lot... It's it's a it'd be a worse look on the NBA than other sports, in my opinion. You know, if they were to have their players continue to play and everybody comes down, you know, comes down sick, comes comes down with the disease. And on that note, also, it is a contact sport. I mean, it's not as violent as hockey or football, for instance, necessarily. But they also have a lot less between them. You know. You, you lay a hit in, uh, say, you know, Zadorov goes and lays out uh, Sidney Crosby in the, uh, on the rink playing some hockey. They have all these pads. They have these helmets. And, you know, a lot of times you have these face masks or face shields, I should say, in hockey to kind of as a barrier between your bodies and the actual exchanging of disease. And in the NBA, you don't have that. When you're, you know, when you're bumping it in the low post, you're backing somebody down, you're getting skin-on-skin contact heavily. Heavily down there. So it's a lot easier, I guess I would say, to pass these diseases in a basketball game. Also, the fact that, you know, everybody ends up touching this ball, dribbling this ball, and it's straight, you know, hand-on-ball contact as opposed to, you know, make the comparison to hockey again. You're playing with a puck that you never actually touch. You're just hitting it around with your stick. And it most likely, unless, you know, you get hit in the face with the puck, you're never actually going to make skin contact with the puck in hockey. So after my point is after thinking about it, it did make sense to suspend the season. I'm, you know, not necessarily, I guess I wouldn't say I'm happy about it. I'm disappointed, obviously, as a sports fan, as a as a Nuggets fan. I am disappointed in the suspension of the season because, well, I, I, 
love watching basketball. The Nuggets, you know, lately, a little stumbling. But in general, they've been having a really good season. Now, this all came out after <laughs> yesterday. I'm, I'm at work, okay? And I'm looking up at the TV because the Nuggets game is on. And they cut over to an announcement that Rudy Gobert, the, you know, all defense, one of the best defensive players, period, um, defensive players, period, in the NBA, has tested positive for the coronavirus. And then I think it was just a matter of like two minutes later, they come out and say that the NBA season has been suspended. It's that patient zero. I mean, although now it's come out today that Donovan Mitchell also has tested positive for the coronavirus. So depending on, you know, depending on incubation periods, Donovan Mitchell could have been patient zero for all we know. It's really hard to say, and I'm saying patient zero as far as like NBA players, obviously. Uh, so it came out and it was, it was a quick reaction and it kind of seems like, you know, that's, that's what you're waiting for. You know, it, 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 yes, it's reactionary, but once one player has it with the way basketball is played, like I went into, it is a very quick process, I'd say, for it to spread league-wide once you have one case of it. So immediately, NBA comes out, says all games are suspended. Um, games in action, like the Nuggets, did finish their games. But then there was um, uh, Pelicans-Kings, I think, was supposed to come on after the Nuggets game on ESPN. It was the late game yesterday. But that game ended up getting suspended or canceled, however you want to put it, as well. So, went into action quickly there. Now, it's up to a two-week incubation period with the coronavirus. So, looking back at the Jazz schedule, okay? The Jazz, back on February 26th, played the Celtics. Then they played the Wizards. Then they played the Cavs. The Knicks. The Celtics again. The Pistons and the Raptors. They have played all those teams. And going back to, you know, the earliest date that potentially Rudy Gobert or Donovan Mitchell had the coronavirus. So you could have infected people on any of these teams and then they went on and played games you know subsequently to that so it's going to be hard to say we'll find out here in the next couple weeks I guess how widespread this ended up being in the NBA it will be something to keep an eye on because obviously depending on how widespread it is is going to kind of determine how long we end up having a suspended NBA season for I hope for, you know, a shorter season and everybody to be healthy. But time time will tell us. The Nuggets, though, I dare say that it is possible that this may have come at just about the best time it could have eh, for the Nuggets, the, the season be suspended, because they have not been playing well. They In the last 10 games, they are 5-5. Five and five including, you know, losses to the Cavs, the Warriors, okay, barely beating the Hornets. And then the Mavericks 
without Porzingis. They still had Donkic. They still had their best player. But they're without, you know, Porzingis, who is an all-star caliber player. They're, they were shorthanded, and we could not close that out. Um, looking at the game, though, specifically yesterday, there was kind of a... We, we did not come out guns a-blazing. Okay, just, just put it that way. We only put up 21 points in the second quarter. We only scored 97 points in the game. 97 to 113 was that final score. And looking at what happened in the second half, you could kind of see that, you know, once that came out, that player, you know, the season was going to be suspended. There was a little less enthusiasm in that uh, once that announcement came out. Players obviously were, you know, could were notified or saw on social media, whatever. However, they found out they obviously knew that the season was getting suspended, and it kind of took the heart out of the game for them. It Jamal Murray still dropped twenty five points. Uh, Millsap played an okay game, twelve and eight. Jokic thirteen boards, fourteen points, eight assists. Again, a game that is a good game if you're not talking about Jokic. Jokic needs to be held to a higher standard than that. I've heard rumors, people talking about, you know, maybe maybe Jokic has been kind of taking a step back, kind of trying to force somebody else to step up and take the take the lead as as the you know, as the alpha dog, if you will. Somebody else to step up and lead the team in points. Outside of Murray, who has done a decent job of it. I mean, he scored 25 points yesterday. But nobody else is really stepping up. MPJ, only five minutes played yesterday. So again, this this could be coming at a good time, I guess, for the Nuggets. As good of a time as there could be for a suspension of the season. Just to maybe get their heads back on straight be able to come back and close the season out strong because they're still only a game and a half back of the Clippers for that two seed. I'm going to, you know, I've said it before. It's basically official now. The Nuggets aren't going to catch the Lakers for that one seed. There is, carry the two, there's 17 games left in the season and they are seven games back. Okay the Lakers aren't going to go on that bad of a losing streak, especially, you know, coming out of a re- coming out of a break, coming out of a rest, having everybody base there. They'll be at full strength coming out of this break. However long this break is, if the break ever ends, or maybe the season will just be done and, you know, we'll come back next season. The Nuggets need to get their, need to get their crap together. If they're going to close out this season, if the season continues, and that two seed still needs to be the goal. The two seed is still within within reach. You just got to, Jokic needs to get out of his head or whatever he's doing. Some people will say maybe he's saving himself for the playoffs. I get that. But with the home road splits that the Nuggets have, okay, at home, 25 and 8 on the road, 18 and 14. Still a winning record on the road. But when you're 25 at 8 at home, you need to do everything in your power to get that home court advantage going into that second round. If we have to play the Clippers in the second round in the playoffs, 
you want them at home. Like, yes, that seems very common sense, but the Nuggets are one of the best road teams in the entire NBA. They have one of the, historically, one of the biggest home road splits in the NBA. So to try to just, you know, sleepwalk your way through the remainder of the season and potentially give up that home court advantage in that second round, and not to mention, it is so close here, the sixth place Rockets, okay, are just two and a half games back of the Nuggets. A home series in the first round isn't even guaranteed at this point. Use this break to get your mind right. Try to look at it as a blessing in disguise, if you will, and come back motivated and with a focus. All right, we're going to take a break, boys. We're going to be talking some college basketball because, you know, Coronas affect college kids, too. Be back here after the break. All right, transitioning into college basketball. It has been announced now, you know, that this is the most exciting time of the year for college basketball. We're having, it's championship week. You know, all, all the conference tournaments are going on. We're leading up into the big dance, March Madness, let's go, Bre- Field of 60, what, 68 now it's up to. All of that good stuff. We're, you know, get the get the brackets set up. I was going to have it all set up so everybody could join a group with us here on the EMP Sports Show and kind of, you know, participate together. It, it's a lot of fun. But that, um, that's not going, that, that potentially not going to happen. It's at least had a damper put on it as far as the college basketball scene is a whole. All five Power Five leagues have canceled their conference tournaments. That's ACC, Big Ten, Big 12, SEC, and Pac-12 have all canceled their men's basketball conference tournaments. They all, and then in addition to that, the American, the Atlantic 10, Conference USA, the MAC, and the WAC have all canceled their tournaments as well. Ivy League canceled theirs earlier on uh, in the week. So many conference tournaments are getting canceled because of this coronavirus, because of this outbreak. Uh, that was, you know, dubbed a pandemic now. So that just kind of it adds to everything. Which brings up the question of like, you know, how if assuming at least that we go on and we have the big dance still, are we going to just go off of regular season automatic bids? Like who the regular season champion is and give them the automatic bid since we're not doing these conference tournaments? I mean, that is, that's 11 leagues, 11 leagues are not having an automatic bid from their conference tournament now because of this. I would assume it goes to regular season, like, you know, it'll just go to the regular season champ. That's what I assume would happen. I don't know for certain, I guess, but that's what I'd assume happens. So the Pac-12 tournament, like I mentioned, is canceled. But the first day and the first round of the Pac-12 tournament did happen. 
which was not necessarily a good thing for the Buffs. Like I said, yesterday as a whole, especially if you're a Colorado sports fan, just not a good day for you. The NBA getting suspended. All these all these conference tournaments getting canceled. And before the Pac-12 tournament gets canceled, the CU Buffs are able to play. And they get routed by the Washington State Cougars. A team that, with that win, got to 500 on the season, 16 and 16, and we lose 82 to 68. McKinley Wright got 21 points. Tyler Bay got 19 to go with eight boards. But you're talking, you're talking about a team that CU should have dominated but they were never really even in this game. They were down by 10 going into halftime. Down by 10 already going into halftime against the Washington State Cougars. With that loss, CU is riding the opposite of a hot streak going into potentially March Madness. A five-game losing streak. They end the season 21-11. and This is a team that, you know, five-game losing streak, easy math. They were... 21 and 6, you know, just a few weeks ago. 21 and 6, they were looking at being a four seed. Maybe, you know, potentially getting up and being a three seed, depending on how well they close out the season. And then they lose to UCLA by seven. They lose to Cal by 14. Stanford by eight. Close one to Utah, only lose that one by two. And then they lose to Washington State by 14. This is not this is not the way you want to close out the season. This is not building momentum to go into the dance. This is a team that had been ranked for the vast majority of the season. They got all the way up into the top 15. I believe they were a 14 seed at one point or the, they were the 14th ranked team in the in the country at one point. And they end the season on this losing streak. This is a team, okay, that beat Dayton Dayton is slated right now to be a one seed. They beat Oregon, okay? They also lost Oregon, yes, but they beat Oregon, a team that's, you know, looking to be a two or three seed. They have some marquee victories on their, you know, on their schedule. But you end the season on a five-game losing streak, and that's just hard to bounce back from. You know, you, you want to go into the tournament playing your best basketball, and they're, quite frankly, they're just not right now. They're just not. And you look at Bracketology, okay, with uh, Joe Lunardi. This is on ESPN. They have dropped all the way down to being potentially an eight seed, according to him. An eight seed. Which, if it plays out like they have it here, would end up, you know, assuming we're able to beat Florida. So our first round matchup would be against Florida. That would be the 8-9 matchup. And then we'd go up against Dayton in the second round. Which, like I said, we've beat Dayton already. When we played played Dayton, we beat them 78-76. It was a home game, though. So you got to take that into consideration as well. But given the history... You know, Dayton's not the worst one seed to end up getting matched up against. It'd be better than getting matched up against Kansas. 
when uh, when the Buffs played Kansas, ended up losing to them by 14. It was a road game at Kansas, though. Gonzaga, uh, Baylor is the other one seed. I mean, of the one seeds, I guess getting put into Dayton's uh, quadrant is the the best you could have hoped for, I guess. But still, to drop all the way down to being an eight seed with how much promise this season started off with. McKinley Wright and Tyler Bay are kind of the engines that make this thing go, averaging 14.4 and 13.8 respectively. You know, McKinley Wright is clearly the main ball handler. He's the distributor, leads the team in assists with five. Tyler Bay is kind of the all-around. Tyler Bay is, he's got an NBA body, okay, he he's six foot seven, but he averages nine boards a game, thirteen point eight points a game, like I said, and he's hitting forty one point nine, basically forty two percent from beyond the arc. It'll be interesting to see if he sticks around because he's only a sophomore, I believe. Uh, he's only a sophomore, so it'll be interesting to see if he sticks around into next season and if we can continue to develop that because you have him. You put that with, you know, Seward, who's a junior, potentially coming back. Gatling, who's a sophomore, potentially coming back. Uh, you have Dallas Walton, who hasn't played a ton this year, only averaging 6.2 minutes a game. But he's only a redshirt sophomore. So if you're able to get him back as well, you know, you have, uh, what's his name? Batty, sophomore. You have a lot of pieces to come back for next season, but you're going to be losing McKinley Wright. McKinley Wright is only a junior, I guess, but I would not be surprised if he leaves after this season. His stock probably wouldn't be much higher, I guess, guess depending on how they end up doing in the tournament, though. CU is still... A lock, I think, to make it to the tournament. That's not what is, you know, that's not something I'm, I'm worried about. It's going into the tournament on a five-game losing streak. That's just a little disheartening there. Not the way that I thought the season would be going down the stretch. Alright, so, bit of breaking news, if you will, coming across my phone. Speaking of cancellations, the Big East tournament has now been cancelled. And also, the MLB Major League Baseball has ex- is expected to suspend baseball operations indefinitely. And that announcement is expected to come later today. All right, so, man, the timing of this could not come at a worse time for me personally. I mean, so obviously I want to make this all about me. That's, you know, that just makes sense, right? The uh, spring break. Next week, okay? Spring break next week. Going to have a little more free time than I normally would. And then potentially, you know, classes all going online and everything. Going to have a lot more time at home where, you know, I'm working on my computer or whatnot and I can have the game on in the background. And this is when, I mean, obviously those things are related. But now... You know, NBA season suspended with the Big East uh, canceling their conference tournament that goes down to uh, that goes up to 12 teams who have canceled it. Looking through today's schedule, 
on for the NCAA men's basketball. Canceled, 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 canceled. There was supposed to be like 30 games today, okay? Granted, not all of them televised, but there was supposed to be about 30 games today, it looks like. I mean, that, that's just me ballparking from scrolling through. And all but looks like three, four of them are canceled. My God, that is depressing. So much basketball that I could have been watching today, and I don't get to. <laughs> sad, sad day. <sighs> now, a league that hasn't canceled operations, they have uh, cl- several arenas at least have closed off games to the public. So, for instance, like the San Jose Sharks, it, when they play home games, it is completely closed off. Only essential personnel are allowed within the building. Obviously, that includes the team. So games can still be played. You just can't go there and watch them, which is not a huge deal for me uh, and for most of the you know viewers because mo- the vast majority of us watch um, on TV, on streaming service, whatever you have it. Most of it is through visual aids. So NHL season still going on and the Colorado Avalanche were able to take advantage of that yesterday by beating the New York Rangers three to two in overtime. In this game, the Rangers got off to a quick one, nothing start to the game about six and a half minutes in but it was the Colorado Avalanche that were able to battle back Jost with a shot. And then Nemitzikov, oh, I'm pretty sure I'm butchering that, with a goal again in the second period to give the Avs a 2-1 to one vic- uh, two to one lead. And then the Rangers come back very late, about 13 seconds left to go in the third period. They get a tip in to tie it, send it to overtime, get themselves a point. And it's in overtime that Comper wins it about halfway through that overtime period. uh, He's able to get a tip in off of a Makar shot. Now, this is the first game back for Makar. He's missed a handful of games. But in, in his first game back, all three Avalanche goals... McCarr gets a Mark Carr. Uh, uh, oh God, that was bad. Uh, he got three tallies, three assists on all, you know, getting an assist on all three of those goals. So he came back and he had an immediate impact for your Colorado Avalanche. Like I said, the Avalanche end up winning this game in overtime to, you know, catch the Blues. No, not to catch the Blues. The Blues end up winning Yesterday, as well, they beat the Anaheim Ducks 4-2. to two. So once again, like it seems to be happening a lot, every time the Colorado Avalanche are able to win a game, and we're like, oh yes, we can catch the Blues, the Blues don't lose. Blues win as well. We do still have a game in hand with two being two points behind them, so it's still very, very in our grasp to be able to catch them. We won this game yesterday, though. Okay, I want to 
want to just talk about this for a second. We won this game with, you know, no Kadri, no Burkowski, no, uh, no Calvert. I mean, I'm going through names that we've been without for a little bit now. Without Rantanen. Again, without him for a little bit now. And then also without McKinnon yesterday, we get this victory. With no Nathan McKinnon, we're able to beat the Rangers. The Rangers who are a team that, you know, are the Rangers are a team that are battling to try to make the playoffs. They are two points out of the wild card position in the East right now. So this is a this is a decent team that we went up against, and we were still able to come out victorious even without McKinnon. McKinnon going down, uh, you know, the previous game did give me a little bit of pause for concern because how many injuries are we going to be able to sustain and not get knocked off course severely? We're without, you could argue, our two best players. We're without Grubauer, who has been the goalie number one for the majority of the season. Now, Francis has come in and played phenomenal, and it'll be really hard to replace him when you're talking about trying to, you know, go into the playoffs and who is who who is goalie number one for your Colorado Avalanche. It's going to be really hard to take Francis out of net with how he's been playing. Speaking of which, he is seventh in the NHL in goals allowed average. Seventh. And this guy was supposed to be our number two. He is fifth. Tied for fifth in the NHL in save percentage at 923. All right. He's not just coming in and playing, you know, well enough for us to win because we're throwing up a bunch of goals. He is playing extremely well. He's playing like one of the best goalies in the NHL this season. And this is a guy who was supposed to be serving as our backup goaltender. It is phenomenal to see what he's been doing. It's reminiscent, I guess you could say of what Grubauer did last year. Grubauer, you know, he was a big acquisition. He, not quite the same because he came in and he was supposed, even coming into the beginning of the season, him and Varley, it was meant to be kind of like a 1A, 1B situation. Kind of see who grabs it and who runs with it. And in the end, it was Gruby that grabbed it, took the reins, and he was great for us in the playoffs. This year... Francis comes in. He was the clear number two, but he is outplayed. I mean, I like Grubauer. I'm a Grubauer fan. But Francis, quite frankly, has outplayed him in almost every statistical category. So it's going to be really hard to try to take Francis out of this game. Out of the net when you're talking about... When you're, when you're talking about, you know, trying to actually win a Stanley Cup because this is a team that is right in the thick of things. Yes, they are battling for that two seed or for that one seed in the West, but they are the they are number three in the entire NHL right now. They are the third best team record points wise in the entire NHL. This is a team that has been that is without so many big parts and have been without huge parts of their team for long periods of time this season. And we are right there as a top three team in the NHL. 
I've said it before, I'll say it again, this is a team that if they don't make the Stanley Cup Finals, it'll be a bit of a disappointment. If they don't make the Western Conference Finals, that would be a huge disappointment as an Avalanche fan. This is a team that has gone through so much and has continued to surprise and play extremely well, missing vital pieces. You're Now we're talking about missing, granted, only one game so far, but missing Nathan McKinnon, one of the, you know, two, three, possibly the best player in the NHL, and we still come out victorious against a playoff-type team in the New York Rangers yesterday. Speaking of Nathan McKinnon, he is fifth fifth in the NHL in points. Okay? He is two points back of third in the NHL in points. I mean, uh, Dreisaitl, he's up at 110. He's kind of, he's definitely an outlier here. Uh, at 110 points, he is 13 points ahead of his teammate, Connor McDavid, for most points in the entire NHL. And you're talking about an Edmonton Oilers team that, where, where are they even in the standings? Uh, they are number two in the Pacific. This is a team with a lot of offensive firepower. Then you switch over to goals. Uh, Nathan McKinnon is ninth in the NHL in goals. And he is sixth in the NHL in assists. And so we're missing a huge, huge contributor. One of the leading contributors in the entire NHL, and we're still able to come out with a victory yesterday. That is something that you should be very optimistic about, very uh, encouraged by, I guess I should say. And then you flip over to the other side of things. I mentioned Kale McCarr, three-point night last time in his first game back in, I think, about a week and a half. His first game back. He is seventh in the NHL among all defensemen, not just rookies, but in all defensemen in points, Kale McCarr. This kid is not even 21. I believe he's barely 20, and he has 50 points on the season, seventh among all defensemen. And we just got him back. That's, that's going to be a huge, huge uh, boost to this team. He, he anchors that power play unit because you're – you know, both of our first games, or our first points, sorry, uh, first goals came on power play. And we're talking about Kale McCarr, who was the quarterback of that power play unit. The quarterback of that power play unit, and we score on both of those power plays. Two out of five on the night in the power play, but I believe it was two out of three early on in the power play, and a lot of it has to do with having Kale McCarr out there. McCarr, second among rookies in points, okay? 50 points on the season. Quinn Hughes of the uh, Canucks have 53, only guy ahead of him. Goals. He has 12 goals on the season among rookies. That is seventh in the NHL. Second in the NHL with assists at 38 behind. Again, Quinn Hughes, who has 45. 
yes, we lost McKinnon. And that's, you know, in the grand scheme of things, McKinnon is probably more valuable to this team than Kale McCarr. But Kale McCarr is of a huge importance, especially when you're talking about the power play. So getting him back at least will help alleviate a little bit of the sting of losing McKinnon. No official word about exactly how long it's going to be. I mean, the NHL is not not great about giving injury updates necessarily. I think it's about a week to two weeks is what I read, uh, but that's still not a hard time, and it's it's hard to say how long he's really going to be out for. Uh, and actually, speaking of injuries, I heard this, and it kind of made me chuckle. They were talking about, you know, the coronavirus, of course, and the NHL, and the NHL is kind of notorious for being very vague when it comes to injuries, you know. Uh, it could be quite obvious that, you know, they twisted their ankle. And on the injury report, all it will say is lower body injury. <laughs> injury reports, it's, you know, somebody could get hit in the head with a puck, and it's just listed as an upper body injury. So if somebody comes down with the coronavirus, the NHL will probably just list it as, you know, an inner body injury or something because it's just, they're just so vague uh, with their injuries in the NHL. And I mean, that, that made me chuckle a little bit. I like to find the lighter side in some grim times, I guess you could say. So that made me chuckle a little bit overall though. It is very promising looking at the Colorado avalanche. They have 12 games left in the season. St. Louis Blues have 11 games left in the season. And we are two points back. We still have the best point differential, or goal differential, I should say, uh, in the NHL. We are 14 ahead of St. Louis in that category. We are only behind the Bruins and Lightning in the entire league as far as goal differential goes. So a lot of things to be excited about, a lot of things to be positive about when you're looking at the Colorado Avalanche. I'm excited to see what they're going to be able to do. This is a team, yes, the NBA season is suspended, and yes, the the Nuggets were having a really good season. But if I'm going to be honest with myself, I would not put money on the Nuggets to win the NBA championship. Uh, I think... If we're being fair, it's probably going to be one of the L.A. teams to represent the West in the finals. But then you look at the Avalanche, they have a legit shot. They have a big chance to be able to win a Stanley Cup this year. They got to be one of the top four teams to be favored if you're looking at Vegas odds to win the Stanley Cup. Avalanche have been having a phenomenal season would hate to see that season get cut short, although I would not be surprised if it does happen. The NHL has kind of followed suit a lot of times with what happens in the NBA. The 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 hard and fast rule, I guess, at this point would be if somebody ends up testing positive for the coronavirus in the NHL, I would assume that all activities would get suspended virtually immediately following that announcement, just like it happened in the NBA. Fingers crossed that doesn't happen because there's this is a season that it's extremely reasonable to, to have Stanley Cup aspirations with 
this hockey club. All right, transition into the NFL. The NFL did come out uh, and say that they are not suspending any or delaying the beginning of the new league year. Um, So they're not, at this point, there's no plans to alter the schedule going forward due to this coronavirus. So let's talk a little bit about the Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos now ended up with, uh, I believe, 11 picks is what it's going to be after trading away that fourth-round pick for Bouye. 11 picks in this upcoming draft. We have one first-round pick, 15th overall, one second round, three third-round picks. The fourth is most is going to be going to the Jacksonville Jaguars. That can't be official yet until, I believe, Monday is when that can become official. We have a fifth, a sixth, and three seventh-round picks. Now, the fifth and the two very late seventh-round picks are compensatory picks, meaning we're, we got them because the league decided that we lost more than we gained last year, so they're help, they're, you know, helping us out by giving us compensatory picks. Some people are upset uh, and thought maybe the Broncos would get a little higher compensatory picks, uh, at least one higher compensatory. A fifth-round pick is not a horrible pick, but you're looking at the two seventh-rounders we got, pick uh, 252 and 254, considering there's 255 picks going to happen in this next year's draft. means we got second to last and uh, fourth to last pick in the draft from these uh, from the compensatory picks, which aren't, um, I mean, I'm not going to, you know, turn my nose up to them, but they're not a huge deal. And with these mini picks, probably going to package some of these, I would hope so at least, to trade up. Or like we did with Bouye, maybe package some of them, send them out to bring in, bring in a, Proven veteran, maybe. Uh, talking about bringing in Bouye, the Denver Broncos have cap space. Lots and lots of cap space. After bringing in Bouye, pr- roughly about $47 million in cap space remaining. And you're talking about bringing in a cornerback uh, number one there which is something the Broncos desperately need, especially if Chris Harris Jr. does not return to the team, which all indicators are pointing to he's not going to. I mean, especially after bringing in Bouye, probably not going to bring him back. But you're able to have Bouye come in, step into that role a little younger. He's got a couple years left on his contract. He's under contract for this coming season and the season after that. So a little bit of security there. Uh, t- age 29 and age 30 seasons is going to be roughly $13.5 million in a cap hit both of those seasons. But even with that, having $47 million in cap space is a huge amount of cap space. And that doesn't even count the fact that they could open up about almost $19 million more in cap space if they cut ties with Joe Flacco and Ron Leary. 
about $10 million for Joe Flacco, about $8.5 million for Ron Leary. I would expect neither one of those guys to be on this roster for next season. Joe Flacco, I doubt it, but maybe you can trade him for a seventh-round pick or something. Not that the Broncos are really hurting and need more picks, but we can use those picks to package, move up, Instead of having 11 picks, maybe, you know, at the end of the day, end up with like six picks, but have a little higher, higher picks because I wouldn't mind having a couple second round picks. This is not necessarily, I'm obviously there's a few top end talent players, but there's, this is a draft that is very deep, especially when you're talking about positions like wide receiver or offensive line, which are positions that are of need. Now, with the Broncos, they are, you know, projected to be huge players in the free agent pool because of how much space they have. So let's take a quick look at that. A uh, couple positions. I'm, I'm only going to look at positions of real need or of real interest to the Broncos first off. So positions like quarterbacks, I'm not going to say I, the Broncos should not be in the market for a quarterback. Running back. I would not put the Broncos in the running for a running back. If they want to add depth, I'd much rather add it through the draft. You can get something cheaper that potentially could end up being just as good as some of these guys. I mean, you do have names like Derrick Henry out there or Melvin Gordon. Uh, Melvin Gordon has the injury concerns. Derrick Henry is going to be way too expensive for what I would want the Broncos to end up spending on a running back, especially considering we have Philip Lindsay already. Wide receiver is a very interesting group for the Broncos. We have Cortland Sun, but having a, you know, another receiver out there would be of great help, especially when you're talking about still having Drew Locke under a rookie contract and wanting to develop him. Now's the time to spend on a wide receiver when you don't have that huge quarterback contract to worry about. So names such as, you know, let's throw out Amari Cooper. Keep an eye on what happens with Dak Prescott. Because uh, if Dak Prescott doesn't get done to a long-term contract, the Cowboys could very well end up using their franchise tag on Dak Prescott, which would open up Amari Cooper to potentially be a free agent. Amari Cooper has had his ups and downs, but I would, especially with how much cap space we have at our disposal right now, and trying to develop Mr. Locke, I would love to see Amari Cooper end up in a Broncos uniform. Imagine having Amari Cooper out there, Cortland Sun on the other side, and then the development of Noah Fant to to eat up that middle. You're having three guys there, you know, six foot three, six foot four, with speed as well. Not necessarily, you know, Tyreek Hill speed, but definitely above average speed. I would love to see the Broncos use some of that cap space in bringing in Amari Cooper. Tight ends, I'm not really going to say that we're going to be in the market for tight end. We still have Hireman under a decent contract. Um, and then we have, obviously, Noah Fant. Interior offensive lineman, Connor McGovern is listed here. I'm kind of, it depends on what happens with the draft and everything. But Connor McGovern has played very well at center. If we end up losing him, maybe moving Reisner into center is something in the Broncos' future. Looking at offensive tackles, that is a huge one, especially if we're not able to get one in the draft. The name I really liked, like is Jack Conklin out of Tennessee. Bring him in 
if you're able to, you know, draft or bring in Conklin, slide somebody into that left tackle position or right tackle position, depending on uh, the future of Dwan James. Conklin is the name that steps out to me the most. I would love to see him as well in the in a Broncos uniform. With how much cap space we have, we have enough room to make two, maybe three big purchases, if you will, on the free agent market. We don't really need another edge rusher. I mean, if we were able to bring in, say, a Shaq Barrett back here, obviously that would be awesome. But if I'm only talking about making like three big-time purchases or big-time investments, I should say. Edge rusher is not one of them high on my priority list. Defensive tackles, though, uh, that is one that could be of great value. You're talking about Chris Jones. If he actually hits the open market, being able to put him on the line. Uh, We also have Draymond Jones that's still on the team, maybe having Derek Wolf back as well. But you're able to put those guys together there. You have the start of something Really nice. Not to mention, uh, I think it's Pierce out of the from Baltimore, a big old nose tackle. I I know we have um um Purcell, but somebody maybe to plug into that that nose tackle position. Purcell maybe can even play some D end in this three four scheme. Just give you some versatility and some more bodies to really eat up some blocks up front. I would definitely not mind seeing that. Not to mention, you could probably get somebody like Pierce at a relatively cheaper price tag. Cornerbacks, I would not expect the Broncos to be in the cornerback market necessarily as far as big-name free agents. If we could get Chris Harris Jr. back at maybe a discounted price, highly doubt it, but I would not be opposed to that. Have have him and Bouye, that one-two punch at corner would be amazing. And then linebackers would be the only other position of real note for me as far as the free agent market. There's not a specific name there that really jumps out to me, though. So offensive line would be Conklin, Amari Cooper, sure. And you throw money at a Chris Jones or a Pierce. Those are three names I would really like to see the Broncos end up pursuing. Obviously, we're probably not going to get all three of those, but that is what I'd be going for. That is all the time I got here today. Thanks for tuning in to What Sports with your host, Mike Jones. You can give me a follow, respond to some of the things I said. You know, we can have a conversation. I will be back with another episode here soon. So stay tuned.